The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you missed this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 podcast network while you're at it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Luke Hazen. Happy to join you on another Monday here in Tallahassee. After a great Thanksgiving weekend and ready to break down FSU's season finale, as it now looks to be, after falling to the Florida Gators down in Gainesville, we here at V89 are ready to break down the season that was for FSU football and look ahead to everything in the world of sports, including the future of FSU's football program. But first, rejoining the show tonight after Thanksgiving break back home, I, I, I think, uh, my good friend and co-host Gabe Tisnes. Gabe, how you doing, bud? Thanks for having me back on the show. I missed you guys. <laughs> I was down in the 407 in Orlando with my friend Juan. Shout there out to him go. for hosting me over Thanksgiving. Shout but out Juan. Yeah, it was it was a good break and uh, man, a lot to talk about back once again. Um, but I mean, first thing I want to talk about is FSU wins soccer. I know we're going to talk a lot oh. about football, but yep. they're in the College Cup for the 11th time in 17 years under Mark Krikorian. Shout out to them. They're insane. They won 1-0 against uh, Michigan in Michigan, the Elite Eight yep. back home. I think in overtime, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. 99 goal goal. Minute, 99 minutes oh, nine, is yeah. what it took to, to beat Michigan, but but they got it done. And uh, now they're going to play uh, who are they playing? Rutgers, number one Rutgers. So yeah. that's going to be interesting to, to watch on Friday at 7 p.m. Yep, and just a, an absolute wagon. We, we you know. We thought they they had a, as good a chance as any to, to make it back uh, back to where they were last year, and they're one win away from from getting back to that game yeah. that they lost in heartbreaking fashion last year. And so shout out to the women's soccer. And they have Santa Clara, the team that beat them in penalties yep. in the other side of the bracket, who are actually hosting the the College Cup, the, the yeah. Final Four. So they could beat Santa Clara in their home field, which would be a pretty good way to 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 say goodbye to some of the great seniors like Jalen Howell. And the rest of the crew. Yeah, sign me up for a rematch in that. That was such an. I know it was a letdown for a lot of Florida State fans and the women's soccer team last year, but that was an awesome, awesome match to watch last year. So we'll see. Hope whether or not FSU plays Santa Clara, we hope to see them back in that championship game as they were last year. But yeah, like you said, Gabe, shout out to women's soccer and shout out to you. Shout out to Juan too. But we're happy to have <laughs> Gabe. We're happy that Juan uh, gave up. You know his his rights to you, and and you, we have you back on the show here. So good to have you, Gabe. And then rejoining the program after making his debut last week, we have AJ LaCourcier. AJ, how you doing, bud? Doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. And, and uh, how was your weekend? How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was great. Uh, much much needed vacation. I had some great food, some great family time, some great friends, and a great sports weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And a great sports weekend. You mentioned it. Your Dolphins. Your Dolphins getting the win there. I know you were excited about that. We're getting hot. We're hot <laughs> at the right time. We're in the hunt, surprisingly, uh, yeah. with that seventh playoff spot. So looking forward. we got an easy schedule coming up, too. We play the Jets and the Giants, not in that order, but yeah. before our bye week. So yeah. we looking shall to get see. back to 500. Do not let Tua and the boys get hot down there in Miami, to be sure. And then also joining the, the program on, on the panel, uh, Benny Moses making a return after uh, a week off, I want to say. Uh, Benny, how you doing, bud? 
Good, good. Good to be back. Uh, ready to talk sports. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving break with family and uh, and lots of food eaten as well as uh, seeing family. And I was up in uh, St. Louis actually nice. uh, visiting family. And uh, the first thing that came up on the local news was about the Stan Kroenke settlement um, mm. that paid back to St. Louis. Eight hundred million was the uh, wow. or close to eight hundred million um, from the move from St. Louis to L.A. And so very exciting. But good to be back. Yeah, probably deserved the city of St. Louis for right. for Kroenke and company ditching St. Louis. There. I know that they had built quite the fan base there. Exactly. Yep. But moving on, the better, bigger, and better things like the baseball and the hockey there. So. Oh yeah. And speaking of baseball, I mean, we're we might get to it at the very end of the show, but a, hu- a couple of huge signings today all across the Rangers, making some moves, getting Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon in there. Uh, but we'll, we'll we might touch up on baseball just a little bit later. But glad to have you guys on the show. Shout out to Jackson Bakich here, keeping it real on the Twitter account that we have set up there. And then shout out, as always, to Scott Clemens and Sebastian Angeliano in the booth on the ones and twos, making it sound a lot better than we deserve to every single Monday here on Tomahawk Talk. Well, as I mentioned it at the top of the hour, Sebastian comes in right now. Uh, Florida State and their season and my time covering Florida State uh, as a football program here on the station uh, came to an end this last Saturday in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium in Gainesville, Florida, as FSU season comes to kind of a disappointing ending with a 24-21 to loss to the also 5-6, and now 6-6 and uh, Florida Gators. Florida, of course, came into the game reeling off of losing, I want to say, four out of their last five or three out of their last four, including a loss to Missouri, that afterwards saw their head coach, Dan Mullen, fired. Uh, that was announced uh, last Sunday, and... Greg Knox, the running backs coach, uh, served as the interim for this game against Florida State. Uh, and we mentioned it last week on the show. I specifically mentioned this, how this was an opportunity for Florida State to come into a game with basically ships passing in the night. Florida State, which had rallied in the second half of the season and played some outstanding football compared to where they were to start the season, uh, came into this game with a chance to get to their first bowl game uh, in two years. And all the while, Florida... Was sinking, was seemingly sinking at the same time. So it was certainly an opportunity for Florida State, and I can tell you from from covering the game down there in Gainesville, uh, the atmosphere was there. The atmosphere for, and that just goes to show you uh, what this rivalry means to both Florida State and Florida on both sides. There were eighty eight thousand packed into that stadium for two sub five hundred teams, uh, and I can say probably. This was Florida State, and I'm, I'm just going to be frank with you, this was Florida State, considering the atmosphere and the crowd and the rivalry game, this was probably the least buttoned up that Florida State looked in a game since the Wake For- the, the road game against Wake Forest. Uh, FSU comes out, first drive of the game for Florida State. Uh, Jordan Travis injured, once again his shoulder failing him, as we've seen countless times I feel like this season. Um, really, really disappointing uh, start to the last game of the season for him after what had been a really confidence-inspiring uh, stretch of games for Jordan Travis, one that had saw him seize control of that offense to some degree. Uh, but he gets injured early on. Florida goes right down the field and scores to open up a 7-0 lead. Uh, and then at the half, it's 10-7, Florida. And the only reason I, I feel like Florida, Florida State was in this game, uh, despite their their deficiencies offensively. Uh, Emory Jones for the Florida Gators throws three interceptions to keep Florida State in the ballgame, one of which was in the end zone. Uh, 
I believe it was Jarvis uh, or Brownlee making the play there uh, in the end zone to keep Florida off the board. But they head into the half 10 to seven, and Gabe, I'll throw it to you. Uh, just getting your reaction to the first half and the w- your read on how Florida State came into this game and came out in the first half, considering the opportunity that was there to get a, a, a real big win for for Florida State. Well, seven points in the first half is not going to cut it. That's the, the the fact of the matter. But I I just put so much weight on Jordan Travis's absence because in the in the time that he wasn't there, Rotemaker and Milne combined for two passes and four attempts for one yard and one interception. Yep. I mean you can't do anything with that. And we saw how they looked against I believe NC State at home. That was the last time we saw them. Jordan Travis less. And I mean the offense is so centered around Jordan Travis by this point that I I I can't see the team without him in the same way that I can with him so uh, as much as we want to talk about how the team came into the game I I don't see uh, a fair way to, to, to critique this team without Jordan Travis and, and I mean the defense did come out to play for the for all that we want to say that Emory Jones is not that good and all that the defense was in the position to make those plays and I mean we've seen it time and time again this defense has improved throughout the whole season and the turnovers for for the whole season show it i mean they are an improving unit under adam fuller credit to him and the defensive line once again played a huge role um they had only one sack but i think they they got to to jones a little bit in the first half so overall i was pleased with with the defense once again the the offense is mia if jordan travis is not there so i i can't really say much about about them without him yeah from from field level early on it just looked and it, that was kind of our assumption heading into the game was that Florida, for all their shortcomings this season, still had the better athletes than Florida State. And in both of these programs' current states, Florida has a significant advantage both on the offensive and the defensive line. And you really saw in the first half on the defensive line for Florida, uh, especially their defensive ends, just getting after uh, whatever quarterback was out there for Florida State. But then also on the offensive side of the or offensive side of the ball for Florida and the defensive side for Florida State, it just constantly looked. Despite the fact that Emory Jones bailed Florida State out a couple times, it was constant pressure on the defense, letting Florida into Florida State's territory. It felt like now it stalled, obviously, a couple times, uh, but they were just able to keep a consistent pressure on Florida State's defense. And credit to them for making the splash plays that they needed to to make this a ball game. But from very early on, when you saw Florida come out and you realized that they were not going to let this game slip by as we assumed that they would. I know I, for one, thought that they had given up on the season considering the last couple of outcomes for them. But when you saw Florida get up for this game very early on, you could kind of sense that Florida State was in trouble with the way that, from a technical aspect, from a, just from an objective standpoint, Florida had the better athletes in this game in the trenches and on the, on the perimeter as well. And I think that really uh, threw Florida State for a loop early on. I think it rattled them a little bit. I think the rivalry uh, rattled them a little bit. You saw a bunch of, of unsportsmanlike penalties called, uh, Florida State being out of position early on, and I think that attributed to it. Uh, AJ, I'll go to you next. And just sort of the, the, the read you got, for, at least from the first half of this game. First half of this game, the read I got is we were just dominating in the trenches, as you said. Uh, Travis gets hurt from getting tackled in the backfield, I think. Um, but when Travis drops back for the rest of that game, it looks like He's already thinking of an outlet because he knows the pressure is coming. He's looking to run before he's looking to throw most of the most of the rest of the game, just because he knows the pressure is going to be there. So we couldn't really get a 
offensive throwing game started, in my opinion. And he, luckily, Travis is good on his feet because that's what kept us in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And then, Benny, we get to the second half of this game. It's 10-7. to 7. Florida State and Florida have both traded stops here. And then probably the pivotal, pivotal, <laughs> pivotal play in the game comes on, on a punt from Florida. Now, Florida State goes back to field it, and Florida has clearly outkicked their coverage. And for what seems like the billionth time this year, for, and it's really disappointing considering Mike Norvell's uh, repertoire as a special, special teams uh, disciple. Like he, That is something that he absolutely preaches home, and it's just been a shortcoming this year. But in effect, Florida State fumbles the punt return, Florida gets the ball back and goes down and scores to make it a 17-7 to game and never really look back after that. Um, so really just looking at this team, how disappointing is it to see Mike Norvell's team after he puts such an emphasis on special teams and being buttoned up in that aspect, uh, how disappointing was it to see plays like that still being made 12 games into your season? Right, you, you never want to see those types of plays, especially against your in-state rival. Um, and it was just the mental mistake that, that swayed the momentum for Florida. And like you said, yeah, they never they never looked back. They, they had the lead the entire game. Um, but especially emphasizing special teams, um, it's a huge part of the game that's overlooked um, as opposed to uh, offense and defense, obviously. But special teams... It's it's the type of it's the category of the of football that can change fields in an instant, um, and with that mental mistake, um, it just the momentum was completely on Florida's side, and in that situation too, you, you got to make a decision. You can't be hesitant. You either have to catch the ball for a fair catch, or you know catch the ball, collect it, and run. So that was obviously the pivotal uh, moment, and never looked back for UF. Yeah, I and. Here's my thing on, on plays like that and special teams as a whole for Florida State this entire year. I have a theory that, you know, as much as we want to harp on, on Mike Norvell and the special teams coaching, which is, is pretty huge when you're, you know, when you're trying to coordinate special teams like that, Gabe, I think part of this is the fact that Florida, like, I think special teams, more than offense, more than defense, uh, resembles the kind of athletes that your team has at the moment more than any other aspect of your team in that when you're a really really promising team and you are really recruiting the best athletes and putting them in position to make plays you see that on special teams you Mm -hmm. see it in both kick return punt return kick coverage punt coverage when you have athletes to the the level that Florida State is trying to have they are flying down that field making plays constantly out running out kicking out athleting their opponents and Florida State, for, for as much as Mike Norvell wants to make that an emphasis on this team, I just don't think that Florida State ever got in a position where they were being the more physical team, even on special teams. I want to get your, your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense on the, the special teams aspect of it because FSC doesn't have those skilled position players, especially on the offense, offensive side of the ball. I mean, Andrew Parchment is one of your best receivers. That says it all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and and I think there, there's some promising guys like Jackie Douglas and um, – Trayshawn Ward, they've, they've, they've used him in the special teams uh, aspect of things. But if Ontario Wilson is your, your punt returner, he's one of your most trusted receivers, and he does that, then that tells you how much talent is is not uh, is just being uh, missed on, on, on that side of the field. And I think the Gators did want it more at the end of the game. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a sore loser or anything, but I think if Jordan Travis plays the whole game, FSU comes out on top, and, you know, ifs and what's, butts, whatever – but I do think that's the case. I do think that this is still a better team than Florida. And they had to go on the road. I think that's a big component about this, that 
that the Florida State Seminoles are still a young team. We saw them against Miami at home and how they struggled. And going into the UF game, just like they went to the Clemson game, they were going against opponents that were destroying them for the last couple of years. So for them to even compete against them, it shows how much they've grown. But there's still a long way, long way to go. So I, I wouldn't say this is a, a proud loss like we've talked about the whole season. But to just sit here and say, hey, you didn't make the bowl game. You got to, you know, panic and, and, and kind of close your eyes to, to the progress that this team has shown going into the next season, knowing who your quarterback is for, all, for, for just that matter of the fact. I think Mike Novell, year three, coming in with new recruits, there's a different vibe on this team, I think, going into the next year. So I, I think Florida State fans have reason for optimism despite the loss. Yeah, I, I, you know, during the press conference after the game, being there and, and seeing Mike Norvell storm in, uh, you could tell from very early, very early on uh, the look on his face, the way that he, he was talking to everyone, this loss really, really struck a chord with him, and I think it's going to eat at him for a while. Because I think for the first time in a in a while, and maybe that's just, you know, that that's progress in the standard that Florida State was preaching. For the first time in a while, Florida State came out unbuttoned and really let a game get away from them because of silly and stupid mistakes a lot of the time. Like, this game was absolutely winnable for Florida State, uh, despite the fact that they were might they might have been mismatched there. And, Gabe, and Jordan Travis said that he he felt as bad as he's ever felt after yeah. a loss. And Ed Jordan Travis has lost a lot in his time in Florida yeah. State, despite he hasn't started. So I think this might actually be a good thing for them to actually, hey, remember what it feels to like to lose going into the offseason and, and use that as fuel for, for the next year ahead. So, AJ, what you got? Yeah, I'd <laughs> also like to bring up, like, this is Florida State's first time playing an SEC appoint, uh, opponent. Uh, you can tell the difference by the other scores this weekend that the SEC is just miles ahead of the ACC. And you can see that Florida's played some pretty bad, had some pretty bad losses, some pretty bad teams in the SEC. But even with that, they know how to play a physical, physical football game. And I feel like Florida State isn't there yet, if that makes sense. No, I, I absolutely agree. And, and Benny, I'll go to you. Um, <clears throat> just your thoughts on, on the game and what it kind of meant to the season as a whole, what it kind of represented uh, as – you know, looking at it, did Florida, Florida State make progress? Did they not? I think you kind of sum it up all in this game is that they've made progress. They're obviously a lot better than how they started the year, but there's still a way to go. Right, and, you know, with this game, it shows promise. I mean, like Gabe said, this this team is still young, um, a lot to prove. And going into the offseason, this loss will be a reminder that, that you know, they played hard. Um, they kept up with, with Florida um, up until the end, but it just – the same narrative this this entire season I feel like is that there was just too many mental mistakes, too many penalties. You go back to that Jacksonville State, preventable uh, at the end um, with that with the long pass uh, to end the game for them. You know I feel like there was a there was a penalty in the Notre Dame game as well that that you know prevented us from winning that game. Um, and it's just that the more and more mental mistakes that happen, you, you know you can learn from them. And I feel like. There's only up from here, so. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, AJ, yeah. I was just gonna say this. This game was just really symbolic of our season. We started off slow. We weren't we weren't doing things right, and then we started climb back towards the end, and we just couldn't. And Florida State just couldn't reach the uh, the end goal, basically. Yeah, we talk about progress, Gabe, and the progress that this this program has made. But when you look at it, the season as a whole. You know, relative to the expectations that many Florida State fans had coming into the season in the second year under Mike Norvell, um, would you consider this 
season and overall success for Florida State? You know, I think so. I think so, but that's that's assuming that the future is better. So if you tell me that they go 5-7, and seven, improving from last season, and then next year you get to the bowl game like you should have this year, then yes, I, th- I do think so. So it's almost like saying yes on a promise. This, this year is a promise on next year, assuming Jordan Travis comes back, looking better than ever. But looking back on how this season started, you had a five-and-a-half line on the win total for most betting places. And Florida State finished 5-7 and seven after starting 0-4, losing to Jacksonville State the worst loss arguably in, in, in program history. So, I mean, going going into the second half of the season, they had nothing to play for, but they shot, they, they shot, they showed resiliency. They showed fight. They showed hunger, something that was absent in the program beforehand. So Mike Norville has them trending in the right direction. That doesn't mean anything until they actually do something with that. But for them to finish 4-2 and two in their final six ACC games, including wins against UNC on the road, which I know it doesn't look too good, but it was still a pretty big blowout considering the moment where FSU was and where UNC was. And then Miami beating them finally after so many years and then also beating them while they also only lost. That, that was their only loss in the last six, in the last six games. So I, I think it is a success. And it's hard to say that because of looking at it as a 5-7 and seven record, looking at it as, as so much disappointment throughout the whole season. Can you really call it a success? I think it's such a subjective thing to say. Would you would you agree or So here's here's my thing. When you look at this season relative to the expectations that you had going into this season, I would not consider it a, it a <laughs> success at all. I think yeah. we were, you know, some people might have been off base with their expectations for FSU. Some some people tempered them, but I don't think anyone saw them starting out the season as poorly as they did. Mm-hmm. Now, relative to how they started out the season and how they finished I would say that the finish to the season would be a success. Mm-hmm. And Mike Norvell probably bought himself some time. <laughs> yeah, he but, AJ, I'll go to you. Um, it's pretty clear Mike Norvell, as the head coach at Florida State, will not be allowed to do this again, go 5-7. and seven. It, It's just you are not going to be able to do that and keep your job. Uh, so how big is next year for Florida State? And what are, so, you know, what are some realistic expectations that Mike Norvell can set for himself next year to keep his job? Because... Anything less than at least a 500 record, uh, Mike Norvell will be out, out the door at Florida State for all intents and purposes. Well, I think it starts with recruiting. He's started pretty positively on that, having getting one of the best recruits in the country with Travis Hunter coming to school next year. Um, but then also starting off with a win at a neutral site, well, kind of neutral site against LSU, first game of the year, that would be a huge step forward for Mike Norvell, I feel out-of-conference game, team you don't usually play, but a big team. Uh, and they're looking for a new head coach, so we don't know what's going to happen with that. And then building on that for the rest of the season, I he definitely needs a better than 500 record, I, I believe, next year. Yeah, absolutely. Benny? Florida State hired Mike Norvell to win because the seasons with Willie Taggart didn't go as planned. Not, not the best that Florida State could have done with Willie Taggart. But you take Mike Norvell coming from... Memphis, with a winning culture, trying to put that and assert it at FSU's mid-tier, not-so-winning culture, um, and try to combine those two. And like you said, anything less than 500, he's definitely going to be on the hot seat. Um, And Florida State, with the pieces that they're going to try to add, as well as his third year going in, should we should see 
that FSU is going to trend in the right direction. Yeah, Benny, what what are if you could just pick a few? Uh, what are some positions? that Florida State should key in on for this offseason to build further depth, to build further talent, uh, and where uh, the most impactful positions, where are you looking at for Florida State to make the biggest jump, the biggest improvement from this year to the next if they want to have a winning record next year? Well, pending, we'll probably see Jordan Travis um, stay as he is a dual threat, so I think we've got that packed. But I would really like to see Florida State reestablish or try to improve the O-line. Because it's tough to stop a really good, running, hard, physical team. You look a few years back, uh, Georgia did that with Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb. If we establish a big, uh, just an improvement on the O-line, it'll say a lot. And that you'll start to see more games. You go down to the red zone, you can power run um, with a good O-line, with a good, solid back. We have good backs. At Florida State has good backs. Uh, it's just the line needs improvement. And I would like to see... A, a few more improvements on the defense, maybe the the uh, the um excuse me the the secondary needs improvement. You know we Florida State definitely gave up a lot of big plays that were preventable it, with their cornerbacks um, getting just and the, torched and the safety at times. Yeah, yeah torched at times yeah exactly so uh, really hone in on the the O line as well as the secondary yeah and, and you know another tough part of of Florida State and kind of retooling this offseason is going to be replacing a guy like Jermaine Johnson, AJ. That I mean, he just got, I mean, Gabe, you mentioned it, he just got named uh, PFF ACC Player of the Year. It's insane, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, just Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, and we, we got to interview him after the game on, on Saturday, and you could tell, like, he was really emotional, emotional about the impact that Florida State has had on him and how he will have had impacted all of the players that are in that locker room right now and impacted future transfers that might be looking at Florida State as a place to kind of come, get an opportunity, and, and improve your, your stock not only for the draft, but also just finish out your college career um, and get to get to be a, a part of, of something special And as Florida State rebuilds. So uh, how do you think FSU goes about replacing a guy like Jermaine Johnson, if they can? I, I don't know if they can. Uh, he was outstanding this year. We're going to need to find... Florida State's going to need to find somehow to get some pass rush next year. Yeah, I I I don't see who it's going to come from necessarily yet, but that's going to be a job for Mike Norvell to figure out. They're yeah. they're also losing Kier Thomas a second, exactly. So yeah. it's not going to be just him. But I do think it, it has to come down to a committee based approach because nobody's going to replace Jermaine Johnson based on who you're looking at right now. You already have Travis Hunter coming in as your five star. It's hard to see another five-star or, or four-and-a-half-star type of player to, to come in and, and replace Jermaine Johnson, especially in his first year. I mean, uh, Jermaine Johnson was a redshirt senior coming from Georgia. He had experience. It's not like he, he was this player who just popped. He, he knew yeah. how to get better every day. He had a work ethic that not many players in FSU currently have. Yeah, so. and, and that's something FSU can certainly pitch, Benny. And I was really delighted to actually see him play this year. Um, I'm glad that he was on the Knowles side because of just – the leadership and the work ethic he's he's definitely he was the captain of the of the defense and i'm not sure if many people saw the difference uh of style that he had um and it's definitely going to be tough to see him go but anywhere he goes because he is a no uh all we can do is wish him the best yeah absolutely and, and wrapping up the first half here on tom Hawk talk talking about fsu as their season comes to a close against florida one last question i have for gabe here uh, we just talked about replacing jermaine johnson uh, of a transfer portal 
a former guy in the transfer portal. Uh, going forward with the quarterback position, we talked a lot about it on the show. Sure we talked a lot about Jordan Travis. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable with him being the sole starter heading into next season? Or do you think Florida State needs to reach into the transfer portal to get some assurance in case? Because at this point, Jordan Travis has a wrap for getting injured. That shoulder is a huge problem of his. I don't know that you can depend on him for a whole season. So I want to get your opinion on where or what kind of emphasis Florida State should have on the quarterback room for this coming uh, recruiting season and transfer portal. Luke, I thought we were done with this. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not bringing into question Jordan Travis's ability as the starter for Florida no, State. Yeah, I'm yeah. bringing in his ability to stay healthy for an entire season, which he has not proven that he can. I think you have to close your eyes and have faith in him because I'm, that's that's I, the problem though. You, if you're Mike Norvell, you cannot close your eyes and just have <laughs> faith in someone when your job depends on some on a quarterback being healthy and they can't. If Jordan Travis does get hurt, they cannot look as bad as they did without him this season. This is true. They can't. This is true. But I just don't see who you bring in as a backup only. Whoever you bring in is probably going to want to have some sort of promises like McKenzie did, and we saw how that turned out. It was just an ugly disaster at the start of the season. And even during the middle of the season, you had an unhappy camper, and McKenzie did his best to, to show his leadership and still be a positive impact in the locker room. But everyone knew he wanted to play, and he just – he couldn't. So for oh, somebody for yeah. somebody younger who actually has promise and has legs and, and talent and, and, and years ahead of him, I, I mean, we saw why Trouble left. Nobody wants to be a backup uh, at Florida State that, uh, that this is going to transfer in. If you recruit somebody, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Roadmaker, but maybe he improves a little bit. And But I, I generally don't see who you recruit at this point and, and – and pitch him the, the backup quarterback position for this Florida State team. I mean, a Florida State team that's 5-7, and seven and, and nobody really seems to be positive other than me, uh, who wants <laughs> to be their back, backup quarterback? Yeah. AJ, we'll wrap up the first half with you. Yeah. Um, according to 247 Sports, we have or Florida State has A.J. Duffy coming in yeah. for Florida State, who is a four-star from IMG Academy, which is a pretty prominent uh, high school football team. So we could always – it's hard to be, put trust in a freshman, but we – Florida State has a freshman coming in that seems to be pretty good uh, as a replacement. And if Norvell really feels he needs to get a uh, a transfer, then he needs to go out there and do that this off uh, off season, basically. Yeah. Fortune favors the bold. Yeah, we shall see. I I just <laughs> I'm worried. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but that's kind of been the the, uh, the, the statement the for this season. season as we wrap yeah. up uh, at least the, the the game day talk for for Florida State football for this year. They will not be playing a bowl game, unfortunately. Uh, but that is going to do it for the first half of Tomahawk Talk. We will be right back after this quick break. All right, we are back on air for the second half of Tomahawk Talk uh, here on WVFS Tallahassee. Gabe Tisnes. Uh, AJ LeCourcier, Benny Moses joining me uh, as we wrap up our, our Florida State uh, football talk uh, in the first half there. And then moving, as we do so often, we zoom out into college football as a whole, and this last weekend was rich. It was just so awesome. By far, I think the best weekend, both in terms of the news, the drama, the games that went on on Saturday. It's rivalry week. It's the best weekend in college football, in my opinion. And it definitely delivered. I've, I've said it multiple times on the show, but any weekend where you can get the perfect stretch of a 12 o'clock awesome game, 3.30 awesome game, 
primetime awesome game. You can just sit on your couch and watch all three games continuously. It was awesome. And we got that this weekend, starting at 12 o'clock in the game with Michigan upsetting and beating Ohio State in a really dominating fashion. I got to say, uh, Michigan wins uh, 41 to 20, or 42 to 27 going away from Ohio State. That is Michigan's first win in the series in 10 years, not since 2011. Had they beaten Ohio State? That was back when Ohio State wasn't ranked and just about to hire uh, Urban Meyer. And what, I mean, Gabe, what can you say about the job that Jim Harbaugh has done this year? And really, what was a season that everyone had kind of written off Michigan? They go, mm-hmm. so, uh, they lose yeah. almost every big game they had last year. Uh, everyone writes them off coming into this season. And what do you know it? They are a win away from potentially making the college football playoff. It's, it's what was expected of Harbaugh. For a while, for a while. But even sitting here, one win away, it's still an impressive achievement. And, and Ohio State, coming into the season, was expected to make the playoffs. And for for the, the rocky start that they had with losing to, to Oregon, they, they still had a lot of momentum coming into this game. And they were expected to win once again. But Harbaugh finally delivered. And I think John Madden said that that was his best as an offensive line play as he has seen in, in years. So, I mean, that's the strength of the team, the, the running game with with, uh, I forgot his name, but he had like... Hassan Haskins. Yeah, four touchdowns, five touchdowns? Five touchdowns. Five touchdowns, I mean, there you go. So, I, I think they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, no, you can't ask for more, can yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. And AJ, I, Jim Harbaugh had an awesome and a, a real dig of a quote at, at Ryan Day after the game. He said, you know, some people are born on third base and think they hit a triple. It's clearly throwing a shot at Ryan Day. Uh, for his Ryan Day had a couple comments a couple years ago saying how he's going to hang 100 on Michigan or something like that. Uh what can you say about the the journey that Jim Harbaugh has had to this moment after so many years of coming up woefully short against Ohio State in these big games, uh, and for him to put Michigan in a spot where they are one win away from their first college football playoff berth? Yeah, it's been kind of crazy if you think about that. He hasn't been the biggest football game of that school's history uh, against Ohio State. And to finally do it and get a chance to go to the college football playoff, it's great for him. Uh, I'm just. I still feel concerned about Iowa, Jim. Thank Harbaugh. you. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm. I'm. I'm not writing off Iowa against him just because I'm. I'm waiting for Jim Harbaugh to do what he does is lose the biggest game. Right. No. I was. Uh, that was. That was I, one point I was gonna bring up was like, by far that's the biggest win in Jim Bar- Jim Harbaugh's career, until the next one because if he doesn't win this next weekend, Benny. This will all be for nothing, in my opinion. I mean, maybe they count Michigan out because they can't win when it matters. So, yeah, that's that's know. a big thing. But I'd like to point out that the full circle was made. Michigan beat Ohio State. Ohio State beat um, Michigan State, and Michigan State beat Michigan. So, circle of life, baby. <laughs> it's crazy to think about this, considering Ohio State hung forty nine at halftime on Michigan State last weekend. I I also think the weather conditions had a big part to play in this. Uh, Michigan dominated the ground game, and Ohio State relied on. The, basically the whole season on C.J. Stroud's arm. And with the cold, snowy weather, uh, nothing to take away from Michigan. Michigan's defense also played extremely well, I thought. Yeah, uh, so, Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, their beast. D-line is insane. He, he, and, he and Thibodeau will go definitely one and two, I feel like. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just still worried for Michigan fans out there. Yeah, we can get I mean, Michigan clinches their spot from the Big Ten East uh, in – uh, the Big Ten Championship against Iowa, who has two losses on the season. Uh, if they win therein, another clinching scenario that could 
could happen this weekend uh, would be in the Big 12. Now, Oklahoma State right now is on the outside looking at it, but they get a huge win, Gabe, this last weekend against Oklahoma and Bedlam. And what was another phenomenal game that went down to the wire? Uh, Oklahoma State wins, and Oklahoma sent home packing, do not get a chance for the playoff, and their coach is also now packing. Lincoln Riley, after the game, is asked straight up, will he take the job at LSU? And to his credit, he responds, no. No, I will not be going to LSU. Instead, Lincoln Riley is headed to Southern California, Central Los Angeles, to coach the USC Trojans. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And credit to him for being honest. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> leaving the next day, I mean, uh, I, I, he went 55-10 and 10 in Oklahoma. He... He delivered a lot of success and a lot of great quarterbacks, uh, two Heisman quarterbacks, if I remember correctly. So, And another NFL starter in Jalen Hurts. Yeah, so, I mean, he knows what he's doing, but it, it seems to be a little bit risky, I think. And, and he's taking a gamble on, on leaving for the Pac-12, assuming that he can kind of cement himself in USC and kind of take them back to the heights that they, 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 they were used to. But at the same time, I mean, for him to do that so quickly, it seems almost premeditated to the, to the point mm. where – Maybe he was already thinking about it before even losing the game, which I don't know how I would be thinking or feeling about it if I'm an OU fan or even a USC fan. Yeah, I, I think it's a risky move, but I think this is a tectonic move that changes college football. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and sort of what, what we uh, view USC as. I think Lincoln Riley is a top-five coach in college, college football. The record speech for itself, the NFL products that they that he has developed and uh, had drafted speak for themselves. The recruiting rankings speak for themselves. This dude is the real deal when it comes to college football. Outside of Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and then take your pick. Lincoln Riley is right up there with them. Uh, and Dabo Swinney, I guess. I'll take Lane Kiffin. You'll take Lane Kiffin over... <laughs> Come on now. But uh, AJ, what does this... Is this a surefire thing... Lincoln Riley going to USC, does this put USC, do you think he adds a sense of stability to this program and can get them back to what they once were? I think he can find his niche niche, niche in uh, Southern California. They they always have good recruits in Southern California. He's a great recruiter. He's proven to be a great football coach. He's taken Oklahoma to the playoffs numerous of times. Yeah. 55 and 10, that's all, all he has to say. And going back to what Gabe says, how he's thinking it's premeditated, just going back on the ABBA song, Money, 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 yeah, that's that's <laughs> one of the greatest motive uh, motivation factors for one hundred and ten like million. And Not only that, USC's buying his houses house. in Oklahoma. He they're buying, buying him a house. new house in Los Angeles. And then, talks and yeah. then free free use of the private jet whenever he wants. Yeah, and Benny, this opens up a really interesting conversation because if you go and you follow recruiting to the level that some people, some diehards do, you can clearly see a trend. Clearly where Lincoln Riley emphasized recruiting in California his last couple of, not years, but his last couple of months at Oklahoma. And then to kind of pull this from under the rug uh, and move to USC, is this a trend that we might see in college football later on? Coaches moving, but at the same time behind the curtain sort of recruiting in the areas that they're going to go to? It could be because when you have a guy like Lincoln Riley and how he had both Kyler Murray or how he produced Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, well, kind of Jalen Hurts, but um, absolutely, I think, uh, yeah, Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield as Heisman, these recruits can look at at what he's done to them and say, hey, that could be me. I could be the next one to go Heisman, NFL draft. 
uh, and have a good future. Yeah, and Gabe, it sort of solidifies what, I mean, forever, it's been, you know, forever known that California is a absolute hotbed for quarterback recruits. Mm-hmm. No one develops quarterbacks like Lincoln Riley. And for too long now, these quarterbacks from California, you see in the last couple of years, uh, DJ, DJ Uolongale and Bryce Young, just to name a few, these are California quarterbacks that are leaving the state to go elsewhere yeah. because they don't feel like these colleges in California can develop them properly. Lincoln Riley is the best at what he does outside of, you know, I, I'd say the Dan Mullen is, is a close second when it comes to developing quarterbacks, but Lincoln Riley is at the top of the list for that. Uh, what does that mean for USC? The, having a guy like that can solidify the most important position on the field like that. I mean, it's kind of a match made in heaven. Yeah. And, and I don't blame him for, for leaving Oklahoma for, for Silent California. I would do it in a heartbeat too. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to be you're saying it's not a sure thing that he has success there. Yeah, I mean, USC as a whole is not anywhere near close Oklahoma, so I think it, it'll take a year or two. But from the quarterback perspective, I mean, yeah, any quarterback should be looking to to, to be coached by him. But also thinking about the the universities that were probably looking after Lincoln Riley because he's been in in the market sort of for the last couple of years, including the NFL. So for USC to get him, I think that's that's the big win. I, I, I <laughs> the quarterbacks in California that they were probably gonna be off somewhere else just as good but for USC to get him I mean where they're at right now this is as good as you can probably ask for yeah I I I just go back to I I firmly believe that USC when they when they are operating at full capacity is unlike anything else in college football I'm not saying that they're more dominant than any other Mm -hmm. it's just unlike anything that and we've had a whole generation you and I, we've grown up. We have not seen USC to that level. Nope. It's crazy to think that. And just think about that for the recruits coming in. They haven't seen it either. So if Lincoln Riley is able to return USC to that national competitive level, it's going to be a crazy sight to watch, especially on the West Coast like that. No one on the West Coast outside of Oregon has really touched that yeah. in the last decade. So we shall see. Especially, but, especially yeah. with the, the landscape of college football. So and I know, know. Yeah. With the SEC – you know, getting Oklahoma and Texas, it's a lot of things are changing, and Lincoln Riley is definitely making his presence known in this era of, of so much change. So. Absolutely. Well, you know, some other news that kind of flew under the radar before the Lincoln Riley news came out, uh, Florida. We talked about Florida a ton in the first half, of firing Dan Mullen, Greg Knox was the interim coach. Well, AJ, they hired their replacement for Dan Mullen yesterday as well before the Lincoln Riley news came out. Uh, Billy Napier, a guy that we mentioned on the show last week, uh, will be the head coach for Florida uh, going from Louisiana to Florida. He's never had a Power 5 head coaching job, but never had a non-10-win season at Louisiana while he was there. Just a constantly, rapidly improving product under him uh, there. So I want to get your take on, on Billy Napier as a coach and recruiter and what that might mean for Florida going forward. I don't really know much on Billy Napier, but it sounds like Florida does. Florida fired their coach and then got, got Billy Napier as their coach within a week. And as a Florida fan, that's got to be kind of reassuring, especially since it didn't really take much thought and they got who they wanted. Yeah. So uh, I know he's had 10 wins at Louisiana, Louisiana, uh, which the school never had, and he's done it for four years. So it sounds like he can coach, and he's gotten some recruits. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and, it, you know, it's always going to be nice having that Alabama analyst title attached to your resume there. Uh, spent a year with Nick Saban. He's also coached for Dabo Swinney. 
He's just been in a ton of places, uh, but we shall see. And then one, one final really weird thing that we we discovered coming on the show, like right before the show, the news broke, Benny, that Brian Kelly, head coach at Notre Dame, might be looking into leaving Notre Dame for LSU or vice versa, that LSU wants Brian Kelly. Uh, what do you make of those sorts of rumors, and do you think that's a good fit at all for LSU? I honestly don't know too much, but going from a like a – independent team with a lot of uh a lot of attention on you at, in Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a solid team. Um you know, they've they've definitely made their presence known um in the ACC as well as the college football playoff in recent years. Um but I you know, I don't really see this happening uh going to LSU uh because of, you know, the success that he's made. Even though it says here that they are trying to have an aggressive push, I really don't see this going through at all. Yeah, we shall see. It's and like, Gabe, Gabe, I know you had a, a good analogy for it's it. It's like trading Popeyes for KFC. I mean, it's similar, but it will actually satisfy you. I'm not sure. So here, here's my thing. LSU as a whole is one of the premier jobs in college football. Outside of Alabama, I, would, I personally would say USC at its prime and Ohio State. LSU is right up there in, in the next category of coaching jobs that he could have. So if Brian Kelly were to have success there, I think it would be more success than he would have anywhere else probably. The problem is I don't know that Brian Kelly is that great of a fit yeah. for the job at LSU. Brian Kelly makes his bread and butter recruiting the Midwest. Yeah. Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, everywhere in the mid Missouri. That is where he gets his bread and butter from in terms of recruiting. And he's made Notre Dame a top five program in the college football playoff era. Outside of Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama, Notre Dame has made the playoff the most times out of any other team. They have been a consistent factor in this college football playoff race, and that's a credit to Brian Kelly. Uh, the only way I could see him leaving for a job like LSU is if he really craved that that idea that he could contend for a national championship there. But I really think he's happy. Like, yeah, He had the 1-4-8 season at Notre Dame, and after that he retooled everything and I think kind of got a new perspective on what Notre Dame could and should be, and has mm-hmm. built them into a contender since then. So I, I think Brian Kelly stays where he is because, I mean, he's the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. There, he's he is Notre Dame football in my opinion. So I, I don't think he he should leave right now. I mean, the future is wide open with, with the, the 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 landscape of college football changing. I think if you go to LSU down the road, maybe two three years later, the the college football playoff expanding. That's something where you maybe think, okay, LSU gets in because college football playoffs are, are bigger, and that way you can actually make a run. But right now, I just don't see how LSU, with Brian Kelly, competes in the near future. Yeah, we shall see. I, I just don't think they can recruit well enough. But uh, I digress. We'll see. <laughs> I, I don't think that there's a whole lot of, of traction to that report, but yeah. we shall see. Uh, final 10 minutes of the show here, kind of wrapping up the weekend that was in the NFL, which is, I mean, always, always delivers on any given Sunday, any given Monday, any given Thursday, just constantly you know especially Thanksgiving weekend we had a couple of good games ugly game and then a good game between the Cowboys and Raiders with the the Raiders getting the best of the Cowboys there but we'll go first to Lambeau Field Packers make a huge statement against the Rams in my opinion uh beating the Rams by worse than the score really indicated they end up winning 36 to 28 they were up as many as 19 in this game against Matthew Stafford in the in the Los Angeles Rams uh Aaron Rodgers on one foot just I think 
is making a case for himself to be the runaway MVP right now, uh, the way that he is playing and the way that he has the Packers operating as uh, the best team in the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, so, AJ, I'll go to you first and what you kind of made of this game, both from the Packers' perspective and the Rams. As a Packer, Packers' perspective, I'm never worried about their offense yeah. with Aaron Rodgers. The biggest thing I see with them is their defense, the improvement on the defensive mm-hmm. line, the way they're able to get pressure on the quarterback with just four rushing and having – the ability to be able to the DBs to stay back and just do what they do because how great their front four has been playing, especially Rashawn Gary. Yeah, and you know Benny, you know we come to a crossroads here where it's ironic these were kind of the last two teams that were in on Odell Beckham, and I know you think that Odell made possibly the wrong decision there. Well, according to Devontae Adams, he sure did because uh, there was something that went out. Uh, Odell wanted to. Swap jerseys with Devontae at the end of the game, but Devontae said, nope, uh, go go do it with your teammate Cooper Cup because you chose <laughs> to play with him instead. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Packers, that they look really good. They're definitely going to be up there. I, I would see them in the NFC Championship at least because tough to win at Lambeau. Yeah, they lost to the Packers – or the, the Vikings, excuse me, last week, um, but notable wins against the Cardinals, the Seahawks, Rams – I, I see this team trending upwards, and so I do not think that anyone will be in their way. Yeah, and, you know, the scary thing, Gabe, I think, if you're a Rams fan today, was that I kind of, from a, from an uh, objective view, I kind of expected this this result from, from Green Bay and their ability to handle the Rams. That's just kind of the, the, the scuffle that the Rams have been on. They are now 7-4. Uh, and four. They've lost three straight games. Matthew Stafford... Uh, for all that we praise him for in the offseason, has thrown a pick six in each of the last three games. There's just an an absurd report that comes out before the game by Diana Rossini of ESPN saying how Matthew Stafford is dealing with a, a head issue, a shoulder issue, an elbow issue, a knee issue, a chronic back issue. It's just ridiculous that <laughs> you'd think this guy is Baker Mayfield with the injuries that he's been dealing with and, and the excuses. Uh, I've always been... Of the mindset that the Rams went to make a move like the Bucks did last year, thinking that they were getting Tom Brady when they traded for Matthew Stafford over Jared Goff. Uh, and it clearly has not turned out that way. We've seen a lot of the Rams' offense kind of change from what they what they operated with uh, Jared Goff, which was effective. They've gone a lot more empty, a lot more drop-back passing with Matthew Stafford and what he's comfortable with, and it just has not looked as effective since they played the Bucks in Week 3 and they, they kind of had their Super Bowl there and, and beat the Bucks. Uh, so what's your take on the Rams? Do you see this team slipping even more, or do you see some promising things that could possibly get them back on track? You know, I think this is as low as they're going to get. I don't oh. think they're going to get any lower than this. So they can only go up from here. And maybe you have to start tinkering expectations from a neutral side. But, I mean, Matthew Stafford is still the best option that they had. I, I don't blame them for going after him. And the fact of the matter is they probably should have had Cam Akers going into the season. So you lose a really good running back. Replacing him is hard as much as you know they've tried with, with their other uh, couple running backs. But... Overall, I think the Rams just haven't been performing, and and Matthew Stafford has definitely been a part of the problem. But the Rams as a whole, especially with their defense, they haven't been performing as as good of the. I mean, leaving 31 points against the 49ers on the road, which is actually an advantage because the 49ers are not good at home. It, it tells you a lot, and I mean, I I I think this is a team that 
you can buy low right now and you're going to actually be really happy once January comes because the Rams are not going to go away. My one fear of anything is that they're they're the host of the Super Bowl. <laughs> I hate that curse. So, Oh, someone broke it last year. Yeah, someone did, but someone uh, is also a unicorn in Tom Brady. So Very true. I, I don't think, like you goat, said, Matthew so. Stafford is going gonna, is gonna to do that, uh, unfortunately. But, I mean, the Packers, stop me if you've heard this before, the Packers are doing great in the regular season. I, I don't I don't know they might be the best team right now but I, I there's still that little part of me that doesn't buy them as Super Bowl contenders for some reason maybe it's Matt Lafleur maybe it's just the Packers choking in Lambeau in the NFC Championship I don't know but I'm still wondering if they're actually gonna pay off if you buy them right now yeah well speaking of Super Bowl contenders AJ I'll go to you uh, another jarring kind of uh, score here from this last week Patriots absolutely obliterate. The, the A.J. Brown list, the Julio Jones list, the Derrick Henry list, Titans uh, winning six straight. They have the best point differential in the NFL now under Bill Belichick and Mac Jones. And they're playing as well as anyone in the AFC right now. Are you buying the Patriots as a legitimate, not only Super Bowl contender, but as one of the favorites from the AFC to make the Super Bowl? I'm buying them as an AFC favorite, but not a Super Bowl contender yet. Okay. Uh, the last couple games have been against some weak or beat-up opponents. Uh, but Belichick has his team he wants. He wants a super solid defense. They'll give up yards. They don't care as long as they lock down in the red zone. And then he has a quarterback that's not turning the ball over. They're playing efficient offense. My only worry is, is if they don't get the number one seed and they're not playing in Foxborough, then I don't see them winning. I personally don't see them winning on, on the road for, for as a playoff team. Yeah. But Benny, if, no, sorry, yeah. if they are home, then, then they might actually be Super Bowl. Contenders. Yeah. Benny, are you buying the Patriots and what you've seen so far on this winning streak? I'm about half and half because you still got the next three games, two with the Bills and one with the Colts. Those are definitely not going to be easy tasks. But we all know the history. Bill Belichick and the playoffs go hand in hand. And he's kind of proven that, you know, no Brady, no problem. He can do it with Mac Jones. He trusts him. And uh, like AJ said, that defense is looking very good. You know, last three games I see they only give up, given up 13 points, and if they can keep that trend up, I I could I could be a buyer on them. Luke, if you could trade, if you're the Rams, if you could trade for Mac Jones, would you do it over Matthew Stafford? Yeah. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Matthew Stafford fits the, what the Rams are looking to do right now. Whether that results in a Super Bowl or not, I don't know. I don't think so. But I, I would not trade Mac Jones for Matthew Stafford right now. Uh, nor would, if I'm the Patriots, would I trade Mac Jones for Matthew Stafford. I'm not trading for Stafford there at all. Um, if if I'm an AFC team con- trying to contend, like the Bills, the Bills for instance, we're gonna get a really good Monday Night Football game next week between the Bills and the Patriots. And the Bills, who were crowned as one of the highest contenders for the AFC, I am deathly afraid right now of having to go to Foxborough in January, you know, and have to play Mac Jones in the way that this team is rolling right now. I just think that they've done a great job in free agency and the draft and filling out needs that probably went unserved last year because you had so many players opt out due to COVID. uh, And really they were kind of just in a weird spot with Cam Newton last year as well. But I'm definitely afraid of the Patriots come come January. Uh, Moving on one last little bit, Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of an ex-Patriot, the expatriate, if you will, now I guess. Uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks back in action. They played what I thought was the best game of the week uh, on Sunday between the Colts. Just an absolute shootout between the Bucks and the Colts. Bucks get the better of the Colts. They come back. They rally from down ten in the first half to win, thirty-eight thirty-one. 
And the biggest story to me, despite Leonard Fournette, Leonard Fournette going off for four touchdowns, uh, the biggest story to me was was Gronk being back in the fold uh, and just hit what he means to this uh, Bucks team and and as a safety valve for Tom Brady. Uh, Gabe, are the Bucks back to being one of these Super Bowl favorites? Oh, they've never yeah they've never really left in my opinion, and that, that's saying a lot from a Saints fan. Obviously, they've had their ups and downs with the defense and injuries and whatnot. And I mean, there's a lot to coming back from from the Super Bowl. We've seen what happened to the Chiefs in back-to-back years. And the Bucks they have a lot of veterans, including Tom Brady. So I'm not by any means discarding them. But at the same time, it's going to be a rocky road once again to get to the Super Bowl, which is probably not what you expected going to the season. I mean, I heard people like Brett were saying that they were going to go undefeated maybe. so. <laughs> uh. I thought, I thought they had a chance, but we we shall see. Uh, AJ, any anything on the box? Yeah, their 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 defense is starting to get healthy, and Vita Vea came back. What a maniac he is! He gets his tooth knocked out, and yeah. he starts smiling. But man, he stuffs up that run. Yeah, he takes on like two or three offense linemen. It seems every play, and they can't get him to move because he's just so big. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we shall see about the Bucks moving forward. The NFL is just in a great spot right now. Constant action. Uh, you get. Not a very good game tonight between the Seahawks and the football team, but who knows? It might be a shootout the way that the primetime games have worked this year. But that is going to do it for this last football FSU football edition, uh, at least for the regular season. We'll have more on recruiting in the offseason coming up on Tomahawk Talk soon, I'm sure. But that is going to do it for this edition of Tomahawk Talk. I've been your host, Luke Hazen, with Gabe Tisnes, with AJ LaCourcier, with Benny Moses, Jackson Bakich, Scott Clemens, and Sebastian Angel Riano back in the booth. This has been Tomahawk Talk live on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.